Father, we, we turn our hearts and our minds to you now. Lord, we acknowledge that you are the everlasting God and that you are here in our midst. And that it is through your Son, it is through your Son that we see you, that we see how wonderful and how glorious he came and gave us grace and truth, grace upon grace. And Father, I pray now that you would fill our hearts with praise and adoration. Father, I pray that your spirit would fill me and that it would fill all of us here and that we would be strengthened, that we would be built up in our most holy faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we, we live in a, in a culture and a world that continually tells us that we, are, that we are needy, that we need something, continually telling us that we need to add that we don't have good enough. You know, we need a better car, we need a better job, we need a better spouse, we need a better family, we need a better this and that and that. And it's true as, as, as Christians, this bombards us. But what we have to settle in our hearts and our minds is that our only need, our greatest need, is to know Christ, to know Jesus, to know his glory, to see him and behold him. And, um, you know, I was meditating on, on Moses when he was on Mount Sinai and he asked God, show me your glory. And then God says, you know, if I show you, it, it, will, it will kill you. I can't, I can't let you see my face. And, you know, as I was just thinking on that, you know, Moses wasn't stupid. He wasn't dumb. He knew what he was asking. He knew that to see the glory of God unhindered, to see his face would have took his life. But he came to that place of, you know, he was taking care of a whole nation, a whole nation that had been rebellious. And he realized that if he was going to survive, if he was going to live, live with faith, with power, with hope, with, with grounded in God's truth, then he needs to see his glory and you know, with that in mind, that's how I want us to come to this text today. You know, in our hearts, we need to be praying, we need to be urging, God, let me see you, let us see you. This is what we need as Christians. This is what we need in the midst of this fallen world. And um, I want us to turn to the book of Hebrews, because, you know, it's, it's, what, it's becoming more and more one of my favorite books, because in it, the shadows... And the types that are laid out all in the Old Testament are just personified in Christ. You know, we, we see them for what they really are. We see that every book, everything had a deeper and more, uh, more, a more, a more relishing meaning. That it was food for the soul in a way that we can't grasp. And so I want us to come to the book of Hebrews. And um, I, just, I just, we need to see, we need to see Christ. You know, we need to see him here. He is given forth to us as our high priest, as the one who is tender with us, as the one who has made a sacrifice for us. So the, the verse that I want to, to go to is Hebrews 10, chapter 10, verse 11. And it says this, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifice which, is, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice, he sat down at the right hand of God. 
Now, in order to, to, to understand what it means that Jesus is our high priest, we have to kind of understand what, what the priesthood meant, what it meant in the Old Testament, what the, the priesthood meant there. And, you know, we, we look at the Old Testament, uh, it was a man appointed by, by God, Aaron was a great high priest, and, and their primary purpose was to bring, to bring us to God. Their primary purpose was to serve in the temple, to minister the gifts, the sacrifice, the offerings. They were to mediate between Israel and God. And their purpose was to bring reconciliation. And we, have a, we, we had many um, priests who had descended from the sons of Levi, from, from, from Aaron. But out of all of them, there was one man appointed who was the great high priest. And he would go into the holy, holiest of all, one time a year, and offer a sacrifice for himself and for the nation of Israel. But with this, 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 um, this dispensation of the, under the old covenant, there was fault. Because in Hebrews 8, from verse 7, it says, For if that covenant, meaning the, the Old Testament, the covenant that they had there with the temple and the priests and, and so on, the sacrifices, if it had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. See, that, that had a fault. It did not bring forth its in, intended purpose. And, and but why? why? Why did it have a fault? Well, firstly, because it was, me, it was men appointed from men. God appointed a man, but the man that he appointed was just a man. You know, so he inherited all the defects and, and weaknesses that we have. He was sinful. He had to offer a sacrifice for himself. He was weak, beset with weakness, just like us. And then he would die. So he could not continue in this priesthood. He could not continue in the role of being a mediator between Israel and, and God. And the offering, what did they offer? It was bulls and goats animal sacrifices you know time after time time after time repeatedly offering animal sacrifices that was the offering and just from those two things the desired effects were not produced a sinful humanity was not reconciled to a holy God there still remained that 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 enmity there that, that it wasn't it wasn't, there still needed more to be done. That's why they had to continue to sacrifice and sacrifice. And there was a remainder of sacrifices. It reminded them that this, this was not it. This was not it. This was not the complete thing. Um, you know, an example of this is a, one of a, a treaty called the Treaty of Versailles. It was after World War, at the end of World War I, between uh, Germany and, and England and France mainly, they, they grafted up a treaty which um, basically imposed a lot of, of, of sanctions on Germany, which entitled, it just broke their economy, they basically couldn't do anything. So, so peace had been agreed between France and Germany and England and so on, yet the, there was no lasting peace, the enmity remained. There was only one side of the party was really, really happy. So, what do we have, 20 years down the line, war breaks out again. So it's the same with this old covenant way of reconciliation. You know, the peace was not maintained. A sacrifice had to be made again. If you sinned, you've got to go get your bull, you've got to go get your goat, you've got to go back up to the temple, you've got to go through that whole process. 
And he's continually reminding us that this was not it. You know, only the high priest could go into the holiest of the, the holy of the holiest. Only he could go in to the very presence of God. Only one man. So what I want us to think today is of what it means that Christ is our high priest. And what it means that he came and died for us. That he came and offered a sacrifice. And I want us to look at three things. Firstly, I want, to look at, I want us to look at the offerer. He is our high priest. He is Christ. Then I want us to look at the offering that he made. And then I want to look at the outcome. So firstly, he is the Christ, which means anointed. You know, anointed means he was anointed for our redemption, anointed by God. He was our prophet. He revealed the will of God to us. He was our kin. He shepherds us. He, he, he protects us. And he is our high priest. He is an anointed high priest. He brings us into the presence of God. But also, he is near to the Father. You know, we had men appointed from men in the old um, covenant, but here we have Christ. He is the Son. He is the Son. He was eternally dwelling with the Father. He was with him from eternity. He beheld his face. If there was anyone closer to God, it could, there was no one closer than Christ. He is the Son of God. And we have that expression in Hebrews 3, from verse 5, where it says, now Moses was faithful in all of God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were spoken late, to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house. So Moses and Aaron, they were faithful as servants in the house, but Christ is a son in the house. And, and we know if we have children, you know, when your child asks for something, if it's for their good, you're going you're to give it to them. So who better to minister? Who better to reconcile a people who are alienated from God by their sin? Who better to reconcile than the Son who is so close to the Father, who comes to the Father and who, who had communion, never separated. From eternity he was set apart for this work. He was not set apart in time, but eternity the Father set apart the Son and the Son agreed to come into the world and to make a way for our redemption. And also in Hebrews 2, verse 10, it says that, For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Sorry, I just need to get this. To make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. And um, you know what, what is what it's saying here is deep because what it's saying is that in order for Christ to bring us to God, it was necessary that he suffered. It was necessary that he was made perfect through suffering. You know, we, 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 we think of God as, as, we naturally think of God as far off, up there, we're down here in this world of chaos, sin and suffering, and God is just up there having a great time in bliss and peace with the angels and so on. And, you know, if you've spoke to people about God, this is the most, for me, it's the most 
question that comes up the most is how can there be a God with all this suffering? You know, how can there be a God with all that goes on in the world? And it's a good thought to have. You know, when you think of the religions of the world, when you think of, of Allah and Buddha and all these different gods that would be presented to us, they are positioned as up there, we're down here. They're not, they don't, they know our suffering, but they don't really know it. You know, only we really know it. They're up there and we're down here. We are the ones in this turmoil and chaos. But the thing is, in Christ, we see that he came and suffered. That he has dealt with our suffering. That the things that would alienate us from God, the pains, the problems, the trials, the things that we go through that always try to drive us away from God, he himself has experienced them. So not only is our Christ our high priest, not only is he the one who made everything by the power of his word, who upholds the universe by the power of his word, not only did he create everything, so he has the power to save us, but it was necessary that he would suffer for us, that he would suffer with us, that he may be compassionate, which that root word kind of means to suffer with. You know, he suffered with us, so he knows how to deal with us. He knows how to be tender. He knows how to be, how to, how to be patient with us because he himself has experienced it. And this is such a blessing. What a high priest. What grace. This is, this is love, nothing else. This is love that God, who was up there dwelling in eternal bliss and peace, never knew a problem, never knew any form of suffering, completely content and self-sufficient, would say, for the sake of these people who have, don't deserve it in any way, I will send my son to know what they know, to suffer with them, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. And we have nothing else like that. No other message about God brings, brings it so real. It's just, it's, it's real. So our high priest is almighty. You know, he has the power to save us. He is all wise. He has the wisdom to lead us through the trials of life and through the times when we do not know what we're doing. But he is also the one who suffered. So he knows what you're going through. He knows your pain. And he doesn't know it as, as he, he doesn't know it as because God knows everything. He knows it with like information. No, he knows it by experience, which is completely different. You know, we were praying about the suffering. If we were to have uh, uh, a Syrian refugee, a Christian Syrian refugee who was here telling us about the terrible things they've gone through, you know, I couldn't stand there and say, oh yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about, because I've never been through anything like that. I'm not really suited to help him properly. I can just give him information, but I can't, I can't weep with him. I can't really experience what he's experienced because I don't know it. But Christ weeps with us because he knows it. Christ is tender with us because he himself has gone through it. You know, you may be tempted but when, look at Christ. What was he tempted with? He was tempted with the world, literally. And I, I doubt you're being tempted with the world, but he was tempted with the world. You know, his suffering 
is weight upon weight upon weight upon weight. His shoulders were broad. He carried that weight. You know, what we are going through in comparison with the suffering of Christ, there is no, there is no comparison. There is no comparison. What he went through, what he went through just, it's more than, more than we can know. You know, you may feel forsaken, you may feel left, but he was forsaken by his closest disciples. And on the cross, he was forsaken by God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, he has known every form and every way that we suffer. He has known it. And because of this, he is able to bring us to God. You know, suffering is not a hindrance. A hind- suffering is not a hindrance in us knowing who God is, in us having a relationship with him. No, God has dealt with that because in Christ, he has suffered. So now Christ is perfectly suited to bring us to God. You know, uh, uh, a high priest under the Old Covenant, under the Old Testament, he could, he could, he could um, you know, it says in, in Hebrews that he, he, was, he was beset with weakness, so he was tender towards the people, but at the same time, he, he couldn't know exactly what we were going through, but Christ did. And I, I just want to stress that point, because, you know, we, we so easily are cast down by the things that are going on in the world. We're so easily brought down by what we're going through. And we just need to know that Christ is there. You know, it says in Hebrews 4, from verse 14, Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we, may, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. See, Christ, you know, what, is our, what do we do? We begin to suffer or go through a certain trial or something, and we're, we're directed to look to the world or to look to sin or to look to people to, to help us get out of this. But Christ, what he went through, his communion with the Father was never broken. He was without sin. Though he suffered the weight of the world and everything that the world had to throw, everything that the devil could throw at him, he went through it all. But at no time did he sin. At no time did he turn away in disobedience from the Father. Therefore, he's the perfect mediator. He's the perfect mediator. He has favor with God and with man. He is able to mediate between us both. Because as a man, he was perfectly obedient to the Father. But as God, he is able to be tender and to be weak and to know weakness. And lastly on this point, his priesthood was eternal. You know, um, Aaron, the high priest, in the time when Egypt came, uh, in the time when Israel came out of Egypt, he died. He couldn't continue in his priesthood, so another priest had to come. Another priest had to come. You know, another priest had to come. But Christ, he doesn't die because he rose again. You know, his priesthood is eternal. That's why it says he ever lives to make intercession for us. He is ever living to plead our cause. You know, his priesthood continues on. What his, him being a mediator is forever. 
It's throughout all ages, all eternity. And his offering was not the blood of bulls and goats. Now, which brings me on to the second point, his offering. You know, it says in Hebrews 10, for since the law has a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, they would have ceased to be offered since the worshippers having once been cleansed would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a remainder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. You know, as it says there in verse 4, it was impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Well, why? Because bulls and goats have never sinned. It's man who has sinned. So therefore, justice requires that man would pay the price, that humanity would pay that price, that a human being would pay for the sin, his own sin, or the sin of humanity. And how we have tried to resolve this problem you know, how we have tried to resolve the problem that we feel this alienation from God. You know, you can look through any society and they all had a, a sacrifice system, uh, a system by which they were trying to work their way into the favour of God. But it wasn't enough and it would never be enough. You know, there is no amount of good works, there is no amount of tears of human blood, of sweat, or anything that we can do that could remove one sin. You know, we need more than our works. We need more than the blood of bulls and goats. We need the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's what makes the offering so effective. That's why in our scripture, in, 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 in verse 12, it says, by a single sacrifice, you know, once for all, he done it. Why? It's because the blood of Christ was not, it was not just the blood, it wasn't the blood of bulls and goats, it wasn't the blood of man, it was the blood of God. Why? Because he had united his flesh to his deity. That was the value of his blood. That was the value of his offering. He gave his life, which is of eternal value. You know, there was one preacher who was preaching in a university and as he was preaching, he was talking about how the blood of Jesus can forgive the world for its sin and, and, and so on. And then one student got up and was like, you know, that is stupid, that is preposterous. How can you tell me that one man's death can forgive the sins of all humans for everyone who trusts in him? And the preacher just said he looked and he just started to weep and he said, it's because of his value. It's because of who he was. He is the Son of God and his blood, his offering was offered in the eternal, by the eternal spirit. Therefore, its value is infinite. Therefore, its value is infinite. Its value is infinite. And that's just wonderful. You know, you may sit there or at a certain time in your life be like, you know, my sin is great. 
And then someone else may say, oh, my sin is great. And we could have everyone in this auditorium say, oh, our sins are so great. And they are. But then we could have everyone in this country, everyone who's ever lived of every nation, of every tribe, put their sins on the scale against the blood of Christ and the scale would not move. He has enough virtue in his blood to forgive humanity for all their sins and yet its value not change. It is still infinite. And this is such a comfort for me. This is such a comfort knowing what I was and where God brought me from, to know that in comparison, my sin has no effect upon this offering. This is not the blood and bulls and goats. This is one offering, one sacrifice, and his value remains forever. And Christ ever lives to mediate it to us and to bring us into the presence of God. And we need to grasp that. We need to lay hold of that. One offering, done, done, because of his value, because of who he is. And we need, to, we need to just lay that in our hearts and be mesmerized by the wonder and the awe of Christ and what he has done for us. And thirdly, I want to look at the outcome of all of this. And the outcome's there in, in the text. It says that he sat down at the right hand of God. He sat down. Now, you need to get the weight of this because... You know, at the, at the start of verse 12, it says that, or in the start of verse 11, it says that the priest stands ministering. He wasn't allowed to sit down. The priest was not allowed to sit down. He always had to stand and minister. What was that signifying? It was signifying that it was not done, that that sacrifice was not complete, therefore he couldn't sit down. That time of rest had not come. But Christ, once he offered his sacrifice, he sits down at the right hand of God, which says it is finished. It is finished. All the blood of bulls and goats of every nation, of every tribe of the whole world throughout the beginning of time could not take away sin. But Christ of his one offering, handing upon that cross, bleeding for our sins, takes that blood, goes in to the true tabernacle, which is in heaven, shows that blood to his father, and then sits down. It's, it's, it's done. That value which, that, that blood is of such, what's the word? Effectiveness. So effective that once he had made this sacrifice, he sits down. And can you imagine that sight? Can you imagine Christ just there going in to the true tabernacle? Not the, the type, the earthly type, the earthly temple, but the true temple in heaven. Can you imagine him going in there before his father with this offering, with his blood, with the scars? And the father says, I accept that. Sit down at my right hand. I accept that. So if God accepts it, if the father accepts it, then we too must accept it. You know, we too must humble ourselves and receive this great sacrifice. We too can come to our rest. Our good works are finished. There is no good works, no amount of sweat, no amount of tears, no amount of striving in your own strength that could complete what Christ completed on our behalf, on your behalf. So why would you not just receive that and say it's mine? Because he offers it freely to all who would believe and take it. And the, con and, and the conclusion from this is that 
as a Christian, we are eternally forgiven. You know, that is, that is the, 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 the force of this letter. This is where, what he's trying to drive us to. That as a Christian, we have eternally been sanctified by the blood of Jesus. That we have a, obtained an eternal redemption. So arm yourself with this. Because if you are a believer, we are still not free from sin. We still wrestle with sin. And we fail and we fall. And the enemy will come to you and say, look what you have done. You are cast out. You cannot go into the presence of God. Now, if any of you have been through that, I've been through that. I know it. He will say, you cannot go into the presence of God. You're cast off. But that's a lie. You know, one word defeats the devil. Liar. You just tell him, you're a liar. The word says that his sacrifice was of such value, such effectiveness, such power, the power of the blood of Jesus, that we are eternally forgiven and eternally cleansed. And this is such a comfort. You know, this is such an encouragement. But it doesn't, it doesn't end there. You know, a lot, of, a lot of the thinking in believers can be, okay, I'm forgiven, let me... Um, you know, it doesn't matter if I sin, it doesn't matter how I live because I'm forgiven. If I'm eternally forgiven, then let me do what I want to do. Why does it matter? I'll just confess it. You know, his sacrifice is of infinite value. You know, let me just, let me just continue to live the way I want to live. But as I've tried to stress that the purpose of the high priest was to bring us to God. That his purpose was not just to forgive was not just to make the sacrifice, but the sacrifice was made in order to bring us into the presence of God. You know, can you imagine a, um, a, a Hebrew under the old covenant? And there he brings his sacrifice. The priest sacrifices his bull or goat or lamb, whatever, and he goes, okay, thank you, I'm going home. You know, that, that, that was not the point. The point was that you was made fit to enter the presence of God. The point was that you were cleansed so that now you can enter into his presence. So for us, we are forgiven, not so that we can do what we want, not so that we can live how we want. We are forgiven so that we can come now into the presence of God. That we can come now into his very presence. No longer is there an outer tabernacle and, and so on and so on. Now we have direct access into his presence. And you know, it's funny because I, I wonder why a lot, I wonder why, sometimes I wonder why professing Christians want to go to heaven. Because so many live in a way that ignores this truth. So many live in a way of just forgiveness only. But they don't, you know, the purpose of the death, the sacrifice of Christ was to bring us into the presence of God. So to acknowledge that we are forgiven, yes, but we must not end there. We cannot end there. We must continue on into his presence. We must go from the outer court into the inner court. And from the inner court into the Holy of Holies. That's where we should be as priests that we are now, that's where we should be. That's where we should go. That is the purpose of your salvation. You know, when we get to heaven, or heaven comes to here more like, 
it's all about Christ, it's all about God, it's all about being in his presence forever and ever and ever and ever. You know, do you, do you want that? Are you seeking for that now? Because if we're not seeking for that now, why would we want it then? Why would we want it then? And, um, you know, we are priests. I just want to stress that again. We are priests now because we have been sanctified eternally by the blood of Jesus, made fit. And the priest's purpose was to minister to God and to make his name and presence known to the world. This is what God is calling us to do. This is who we are. We have to live it out, brothers and sisters. We have to live it out. We have to live it out. We have to minister to him. This is why we've been saved. This is why he died. This is why he hand on a cross. This is why he poured out his blood. This is why he lived and done what he done so that now we can come into the very presence of God. And, and you know, grasp that. Just lay a hold of that. And know that you can come. Know that you can come. As it says in... Um, Further down in chapter 10, it says this, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest, a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You know, that, that is the word that comes up throughout the book of Hebrews. Draw near, draw near, draw near, draw near. No matter where you are, brothers and, and, and sisters, no matter what your battle, your struggle, draw near. Draw near into his presence and he will lift the load. Draw near into his presence Draw near. And in speaking all of this, you know, this, this is the children's bread. This is, this is for believers. This is to encourage and comfort believers. And, you know, when we, when, when, when we as Christians preach or tell of the, 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 the forgiveness, the magnitude, the unsearchable riches that we have in Christ and how he's forgiven us of all our sins, there is a danger that those who do not have the Spirit of God dwelling in them, would say, okay, well, thanks for telling me that. I'm going to go out and live how I want to live. But I don't want anyone who may not be a Christian to draw that conclusion. You know, this is to encourage God's people. If you're not a believer, read the book of Hebrews. They're just lies, warnings. You know, as you hear the message of his grace and his forgiveness, if it does not rapture your heart and make you want to love and adore him, if it's just noise and, 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 and words to you, if it's nothing to you, then how can you claim this to be your own? How can you claim to have the faith that proceeds from your heart, that lays hold of the promises of God? You know, in Hebrews 2, actually, it says, how can we neglect so great a salvation? It's insanity. No, how can we neglect so great a salvation? All of this done. And what do we have to do? What do I have to do? What do you have to do? 
Believe. Repent and believe. Receive it. Or if you are not in that position, if you are not in that place of faith, if you have not come to Christ, then you need to be awakened out of your sleep. You need to be awakened out of your sleep. Your condition is like being in a, in a house that is burning and you're asleep in your room and Christians shout to you, look, there's flames under you. There's flames in the house. And you're saying, well, I can't see the flames. I can't feel the heat. And you go back to sleep. You're resting. But at a time, these flames will come and consume the whole house while you're in it. But us, me, Christians, plead with you to come out by the way of his gospel, to fly out. And you can because he has made a way. He has made a way for you to be saved. And it's laid here in the gospel. And it's what I've tried to communicate with you. You know, you can have all the world, but if you don't have Christ, you have nothing. You can have all the world, but if you don't have Christ, you have nothing. All the pleasures, everything is just temporal. Temporal. But this is eternal. Father, we we give you praise for who you are and what you have done. We thank you that you are our great high priest and that you have given yourself as as an eternal offering for us and that you have removed from us our sins as far as the east is from the west. And we praise you for that, Lord. I pray that every heart here would grasp and receive and be filled with joy and peace in the light of these truths. And that we would be the priest, the the holy nation, the royal priesthood you have called us to be. We would make your name and your glory known. For your name's sake, we pray. Amen. Amen. Please rise to your feet as we take this last song to end the service.